There's a rainbow, and I, you know, normally do, you know, red, uh, green, and you know, yellow or something like that. And now I've got some purples and some, you know, whatever in there. You know, I just, it's just completing the rainbow, that's all. I mean, we're all a full rainbow of emotions and things like that. Anybody who comes out here and says, I just joke around, I'm not affected by feelings, is, a, you know, a liar. And uh, so, uh, I guess that's the great thing about this project for me, is I get to show the other colors. Fuck! I didn't... I didn't think of an intro. Uh... Tanner, your whole life has been the intro. Every moment up to now led to this. Well, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, I shit my pants. Hi, welcome to Bomb Squad Movie Night, episode number I don't remember. I am your host and master of ceremony, Tanner Richard Kraft, and with me I have... Hi, I'm Austin Zwiebelman. I'm Ethan Hawker. And today we have a very uh, special guest returning from the Wreck-It Ralph episode. Hi, I'm everyone's favorite special guest, Cody Suizo, at your service. Woo! He's back! By popular demand, by the audience. I mean... It's true, though. <laughs> uh, today, if you couldn't tell by Austin's My Life is a TV Show thing, we're talking about one of my favorite movies of all time, the Jim Carrey starring Peter Weir directed The Truman Show. But before we get into The Truman Show, what's our favorite Jim Carrey movie? That's what I want to start with as our warm-up question. Austin, we'll start with you. As much as I really, really love The Mask, which I think was the first PG-13 comedy I saw with my family, I am a sucker for Jim Carrey's more dramatic roles. Now, you got three real contenders here in my opinion, Truman Show, Eternal Sunshine, and Man on the Moon. Truman Show is disqualified because of double jeopardy, and Man on the Moon is disqualified for illegal wrestling moves on the part of dirty wrestler Jerry Lawler. Boo him! Boo this man and his reckless pile driving! Boo! So that leaves Eternal Sunshine, which holds a very special place in my heart for being permanently stocked in my handyman's belt of date movies. Every single person that I loved in high school sat through this movie with me at one point, and it yielded way better results than the cable guy did. I am so grateful that Michelle Gondry didn't go with the original, like, bummer ending this movie had, where everything's just broken forever. That kind of fatalism has no place in date night in my parents' basement. If we could just give it another go-around. Maybe we can. But on top of that, I just really admire its craftsmanship. That scene where Joel and Clementine run through the train station as everybody sort of disappears really fucked with my head after I started, like, tooling around with editing software trying to replicate the effect. So, uh, final answer for a thousand points and a trip to Disney World, I'm saying eternal sunshine to the spotless mind, because it reminds me of back when I was a teenager who was in love and trying to impress somebody I cared about. Excellent pick. A fun fact about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, because I don't know if I'll ever uh, be able to bring this up. When I went through a very emotional breakup, I, as a challenge to myself, went, all those pussy-ass motherfuckers who said, uh, oh, you can't watch Eternal Sunshine after a breakup, it'll hurt you. So a few days after a very long-term relationship, I'm talking under a week, the first movie I watched was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Bad call. The people were right. Uh, I, I cried for a week. I'm still crying, actually. I never stopped. That's why I cry on this show so much. Ethan, 
First off, Ethan on a live action episode. Woo! He did it! Ethan, I'm very curious to hear what your favorite Jim Carrey movie is. Well, it's a classic Dr. Seuss adaptation. That's right, baby. We're talking Horton, Here's a Who. Uh, it's the only animated film that he's starred in. Also, not very good. Not my favorite. My actual favorite is uh, probably The Mask. Somebody stop me! I feel like it's, in terms of, you know, fitting Carrie's style, um, the Mask character sort of really leans into his very over-the-top performative style. He's able to do a lot even under, you know, the, the modest layer of makeup. You know, he's so expressive that even without, you know, eyebrows, uh, which are kind of significant in emoting, he's able to do a lot with the role. And it's just genuinely funny and has aged a lot better than a lot of his contemporary, you know, comedies for younger folks, Ace Ventura films, Liar Liar, all that stuff. Films I have a certain fondness for, but, you know, there are things you like more when you're like 10. Excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions. And, of course, the use of CG, which is a fairly early use of CG animation in a film, but it intentionally draws the irreality, like the unpolished sort of texture funkiness, into the spotlight and uses it a lot more effectively than many of its contemporaries. And it's it's really just, you know, a feature-length Tex Avery cartoon, which I like a lot. It's a lot of fun. Interesting, interesting. Good pick. Uh, I'm going to be honest, I sincerely, genuinely expected you to say The Grinch. I would d- briefly consider it, because I think it's very impressive that he's able to do so much with so much covered up by makeup that, you, you know, he's still incredibly expressive. How to take care of those pesky memories. Ugh. And it is definitely the most interesting-looking Ron Howard movie. I mean, it's The Grinch somehow rendered as this horrible nightmare. But but the mask is better on purpose. <laughs> I really wish you were unironic about Horton Hears Who. I was ready to let you cook, man. So there's a scene in Horton Hears a Who near the end where they all start collectively singing, uh, you know, I Can't Fight This Feeling Anymore by R.E.M. And I find it to be a very moving scene. Cody, what's your favorite Jim Carrey movie? Well, this is awkward because my favorite's The Truman Show, but we can't do that yet. And my soul's like, all right, my second favorite's The Mask. I can't do that now because it's already kind of been taken up. So it's like, uh, let me get my script. Ah, shit. Uh, So my next one would probably be Bruce Almighty. I remember watching that one a lot when I was younger. You know, what little kid doesn't want to be God for a day or something? I don't know. Except you don't because it's awful and you have ramifications and consequences. Also, Morgan Freeman is God. Can't beat that. Okay, how many fingers am I holding up? Seven. Aha! It also messed with my head when I was younger because there was another movie called Evan Almighty, which had a pretty similar premise, and Morgan Freeman was also God. So I just, I was just <laughs> like, my, my, my eight-year-old brain was like forgetting movies and stuff. I, I had a tendency of forgetting movies existing because of my uh, brain. So, but Bruce Almighty's good. I really like that one. Cody, out of curiosity, you are aware that Evan Almighty is a sequel to Bruce Almighty, right? You want to go back in time and tell past me that? Because I, I didn't know what sequels were. I was like, oh, wow, movie again. Whoa. The Prime Minister of Sweden visited Washington today, and my tiny little nipples went to France. What did he just say? Fun fact about Evan Almighty, it is one of the most expensive movies ever made. One of the most expensive comedies. They really built that arc. Was it worth it? It has a budget of over $200 million. Really? Yep. Yeah, because they (laughs) had a bunch of animals and they actually, for some fucking reason, actually built an entire ark. It is the Dr. Doolittle of the 21st century. (laughs) 
What about the Dr. Doolittle that came out in the 21st century? Oh my century? god, yes, there was a terrible... <laughs> <laughs> it said Robert Downey Jr. That was his first post-Iron Man role. Oh boy, what a, what a start. Alright, so, yeah, my favorite Jim Carrey movie, here we go. I spent a long time debating this. I thought about doing Eternal Sunshine as Ball is Mine, which is great. I also thought about Bruce Almighty, which is great. I thought about some other ones that I, I, I appreciate for what they are, like I Love You, Philip Morris, or Yes Man. And then I remember I only like Yes Man because of that one scene. Wish you would step back from that ledge, my friend. However, I, I reached the obvious conclusion. Quite frankly, I'm shocked none of you guys managed to bring it up. It's a somewhat more recent movie in Jim Carrey's filmography, I'll admit. But for me, the answer is and forever will be, of course, uh, Mr. Popper's Penguins. God, um, I just think it's a great. It. <laughs> this will not stand. <laughs> I will rain down on a godly fucking firestorm upon you. <laughs> My answer is not Mr. Popper's Penguins. No. Damn it. My actual answer to this is if I can't say the Truman Show, Jim and Andy, a documentary about the making of Man on the Moon, featuring never-before-seen-behind-the-scenes footage of Jim Carrey uh, slowly becoming a crazy person. I'll tell you something. You are not welcome here, okay? You are not welcome here. All right, Lawler? I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> Andy, Andy! Is that how you talk from Memphis, Tennessee, Mr. Lawler, huh? It's a deeply fascinating insight into that type of acting and what goes into it mentally. That ends with a big thing where it's kind of like Jim Carrey at the very end goes, but maybe I was fucking with everybody, which is just funny. <laughs> but we're not talking about a movie where Jim Carrey's fucking with everybody. We're talking about a movie where everybody's fucking with Jim Carrey. Cheers. And that's The Truman Show. Yeah. Why don't you let me fix you some of this new Mococo drink? All natural cocoa beans from the upper slopes of Mountain Nicaragua, no artificial sweeteners. Who are you talking to? This is actually my favorite Jim Carrey movie, and I'd oh, imagine that it probably is for a lot of us here. Easily in my top ten favorite movies. This is my third favorite movie ever made. Ooh. I love it to bits. And we'll just get right into it, starting with the person who might be the most lukewarm out of the four of us. Ethan, I'm ready to hear huh? from you. Huh? Huh? Uh, no, uh, The Truman Show was one where I don't have as much of a history with you guys as probably. I've seen it twice before now. I saw it once on television, which is, I don't know, that, that feels <laughs> like a... Well, yeah, we all did. It's, it's always on. There's a version of TBS where it's always on. And then I saw it, you know, once on, on home video prior to this. Um, and I wasn't, you know, completely over the moon about it. But uh, on this revisit, I think that it really achieves this really compelling sort of balance. Being, you know, balancing Carrie's, you know, comic tendencies, you know, as a performer, particularly like very over the top sketch comedy, a lot of very physical slapstick and, you know, like, like you know, funny voice comedy and restraining that in a lot of ways. I think Weir directs him very well and he's able to sort of toe the line there. There are maybe some moments where I think maybe he almost goes a bit too far. Uh, but I think what he really d helps achieve is this fun balance where particularly like the Trumania segment in the opening, you get why people would want to watch these guys, or this guy rather, this guy interacting with these people and why they would be attached to him. There's a very like, I don't know, for a modern example, uh, like the streamer Germa, I guess, who I'm, I'm admittedly not super familiar with. Oh, I am. I think that's a first referencing Germa on the show. 
after this long? That's impressive. <laughs> well, there is a quality of just like that sort of almost parasocial, I guess, relationship. And, and that is the other thing about this film, I suppose, is it's, it's relative prescience, which was, you know, commented upon back in the day, like a decade after the film came out. And has only rung more and more true as like live streaming and that sort of thing gains popularity. Uh, but there's there's a lot to like about this film. A lot of like subtle storytelling things like um, his best friend who, you know, grew up as an actor aware that he was just lying to this person is clearly an alcoholic. Um, and every time he walks into a scene, he's like, want to get a beer? Want to get a brewski? Here's a beer. There's a lot of interesting like storytelling aside from that, you know, central conceit. Like there's some stuff I would like to see more of. Uh, there's actually like a Nick at Night television special made to promote this film that kind of gives me a lot of that. It's like a BTS sort of thing where it's interview with the cast and crew of the fictional Truman Show. Will he ever get to Fiji? Where the hell is Fiji? And if he does, will it be real? Come on, guys, we gotta make this believable. And it kind of, honestly, after seeing that, I think I appreciate the film more because it's like I have this separate thing now that scratches that itch that I wanted in the main feature. But I think everyone here just gives really spectacular performances. I really like Ed Harris, obviously. There's a lot to like uh, it, and it balances kind of like high concept stuff with like blockbustery drama in an interesting way. It toes that line in being accessible in a more nuanced performance from Carrie while still being kind of cerebral. He's heading west on Stewart. Stand by all extras. Something's wrong. Change uh, frequencies. So I, I do like it quite a bit. Um, maybe it's not perfect. I have my quibbles with it, but I still enjoyed it. Uh, hence why I'm here. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Let's go to uh, the special guest. Cody, I'm oh, ready to hear your boy. thoughts. When you saw this on the schedule, you were immediately like, yeah, I don't yeah, care yeah, about yeah, nothing not? else. I want to be on that one. Yeah, because I got quite a fun uh, fun story with this movie. Because I, I saw it not too long ago. There was a friend of mine who was like, oh, this is like my favorite movie of all time. You really got to see it. And it was just, we just kept delaying it. But eventually, all right, we'll do a little movie night. I'll watch Truman Show. And also I made him watch uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall just to make sure we were both uh, broken at the end of it. So... <laughs> But when I saw it, you know, I was like, you know, this is a really neat movie. Like, you know, like the concept of just this person who's in this world that isn't really his is just a fascinating concept. And the fact that it's kind of like a comedy, but not really makes it really good. If it was just like this deep dive into like a fake world that's just not really yours, I'm definitely not referring to a movie that came a year after it. It'd be, you know, kind of whatever. But the fact that it's a comedy makes you kind of laugh with it. And I think Jim Carrey sells that a lot. No, you first, please. I'm not that anxious to get there. <laughs> it makes it funny that for, like, the first part of the film, it's kind of like, does he know? Like, you know, everything's being, like, worked behind him. <laughs> yeah, everything's being worked behind him, and he's just so oblivious to it. But then when he starts to realize it, he just goes, like, insane over it, and he just makes it, like, the funniest thing ever. But when you strip away that comedy, like, the true underlying tones it's telling is kind of, like, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's terrifying, but it's also, like, it's kind of fascinating, especially since it was released in 98 you know like this is right before like the boom of like the internet and virtual reality and all that crazy stuff because like realistically you know how many people are in their own virtual worlds now as we speak it's a weird concept and it's something we talk about and it's like yeah that's normal it's not this weird concept like truman show displays it 
And uh, I think that's a very fascinating concept, especially with how many lengths they'll go to make sure Truman doesn't leave the area. Like to the point, like I was watching the one scene just a bit ago where like he like goes past the bridge and there's just a forest fire. And then there's yeah. just a radiation site. And it's just like, they just got backup plan after backup plan. I think it's hilarious. Another perspective that really like opened my eyes when another friend uh, watched it. Um, they have experience being on reality TV. And so that gave them a very different perspective on it. And once they started talking to me about just like, well, first off, when they explained reality TV to me, like, wow, that's shit. But then uh, when they explained that in parallel to the Truman Show, just, you know, being monitored, having like all of your like fears and trauma just expelled to the whole world, it's kind of like messed up. like. You know, I was watching the other scene, like, um, when he was on the boat with his dad and his dad falls off, like, you see the little camera dude just, like, recording it, and it's like, that's just super messed up to him. It's like, that's his life. Yeah. But to us, it's just entertainment. So that, that's just such a weird feeling, but that's why I like it. It makes you, it makes you laugh, but it also makes you think, and those are the best kind of movies to me. So, yeah, I think it's definitely one of the best uh, movies out there. Uh, Cody, yeah, all great stuff. Number one, uh, the movie that came out a year later, I'm assuming you're referring to Ed TV. No, I definitely wasn't. Well, there's a movie that's like a knockoff of this called Ed TV that came out a year after. Funnily enough, directed by Ron Howard, who has already been brought up today. I was making more of a Matrix nod since it kind of has the same baseline of like reality that's not real. Um, And two, (laughs) you referencing the does he know meme works doubly good here because does he know is, of course, Paul Dano's Riddler. Jim Carrey played the Riddler in Batman Forever. That's right. Now, Austin, tell me about how much you love Batman Forever. Fuck the Truman Show. Can I persuade you to take a sandwich with you, sir? I'll get drive through. In a world where allegory of the cave movies are too crazy for your grandparents, where movies like The Matrix, Dark City, and Dogtooth lord over family movie night like a disaster waiting to happen, The Truman Show shines like a lighthouse in the fog, gesturing at you with open arms, shouting, If you thought Stranger Than Fiction was good, wait until you get a load of me! The Truman Show is widely regarded as one of the best films of the 1990s, even if the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences could couldn't spare the film any gold statues, because it happened to come out the same year as The Thin Red Line and Saving Private Ryan. In spite of this, most people who have seen The Truman Show look back on it like an old friend they used to play baseball with. And for good reason. Director Peter Weir, an Australian man known for having a secret machine that converts famous comedians into Tom Hanks caliber dramatic actors, crafts a touching, thoughtful film that sends an important message to everybody. What is the message? That's kinda up to you. This is the kind of movie that could be about leaving a religion or finding a religion at the same time, or reality TV. It's a broad framework of events that basically everybody finds profound. Once called the most expensive art film ever made by executives of Paramount, marvel at the meticulous details that bring Truman's 1984 meets Leave it to Beaver world to life. Many efforts were made by the production crew to convince viewers that this high-tech corporate prison was as real as the actors on their screen. Sometimes like the colossal moon painted in the sky. Sometimes subliminal, like the VFX guys chopping off the top part of the ocean's horizon as a hint that it doesn't in fact go on forever. Shot in a real-life Florida town that was so uncanny that the cast and crew couldn't decide if it was a tropical paradise or a creepy nightmare, the scope of Truman's lifelong cage is sure to astonish and terrify you. 
Get Ready to Cheer as the film plays your emotions like a goddamn fiddle, featuring classic jukebox hits like The One That Got Away, My Father Was Alive the Whole Time, and recontextualizing the main character's catchphrase while he's defeating the villain. And if you thought Stairway to Heaven was a popular song when Led Zeppelin did it, wait until you see it literalized at the end of this movie, and the buried part of your soul that yearns to adventure beyond pulls the lever in your brain that makes tears erupt from your eyes. The Truman Show is a cascade of perfect creative decisions brought to life. It'll make you think, it'll make you laugh, it might even make you paranoid that you're trapped in a TV show too. But you'll never forget the adventure of this reality TV star who wanted to be a true man. All right, great stuff. I could agree completely. Um, I am a part of a reality TV show. Cue the sun. Yeah, um, it's really shocking. Like, like, it's good that this movie got nominated for Oscars at all, but there's like a bunch of weird stuff that is not getting nominated for Best Picture. Like, Jim Carrey famously snubbed here, as he will repeatedly be in the upcoming years with Man on the Moon and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. But yeah, even if the Oscars don't recognize it, I do. The Tanners do. Citizen Kane barely won any Oscars. That's true. God, where to start with this? I love this movie. What it comes down to ultimately is just how simple I think it is at its core. Yes, it's actually quite a complicated thing with the whole guy is adopted from birth. There's a bunch of like fucked up, weird alternate universe capitalism shit going on here, by the way, with the entire premise of this show. Number one and number two, this show would have started in the 60s. I'm trying to imagine this airing alongside the Twilight Zone. Speaking of the Twilight Zone, this is actually based off an episode of the Twilight Zone zone from the 1985 series special transmission when this script was first written it was a darker more pure sci-fi type movie and peter weir was the one who like really humanized it and i think for the best obviously it's a much more interesting thing about this completely earnest man and and like ethan was saying you see why people want to watch him please keep your hands inside the car (laughs) this is my favorite pizza place One large extra plankton. Jim Carrey in this movie is one of my all-time favorite acting performances. If my favorite acting performance ever is Tom Hanks and Forrest Gump, which it is, Jim Carrey in The Truman Show is, like, tied for second with Michelle Yeoh and everything everywhere. I I love his performance here. He nails the comedic moments. He nails these small moments. But then, like, the thing I really love to point to is at the end where he's screaming at the top of his lungs, you're gonna have to kill me. Just pure determination to get out there and find himself. Obviously, I love the obvious religious allegory with Ed Harris's Kristoff literally speaking from the skies as a literal beam of light is blasting upon Truman. I love his delivery of, well, say something, goddammit, you're on television. Iconic line. But there's a lot of small storytelling things here. Something I think that is quite obvious in the movie, but the movie maybe necessarily doesn't spell out, is that I think Kristoff's hubris is ultimately what causes this project to fail because you know his parents are actors obviously but if the world that Truman sees as constructed is real then of course he's gonna love his parents as long as the parents treat him like a son um Marlon his friend which by the way Ethan I love you pointing out that he's clearly an alcoholic because I think the movie makes it obvious that he's not super okay with this because he's been doing this since he was seven to an extent this is fucked up for him too he probably does genuinely value Truman as a person you make a boy meet a kid as they're both seven they're probably going to be friends. What is much, much harder to force, downright impossible to force, 
is who a man falls in love with. True love. Mm-hmm. And I think it's 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 telling that it's so artificial the way he meets the woman that would become his wife, the whole tripping into it. She's like playing it up to a camera. The, the movie makes it obvious that's the beginning of the end, but I just love how if Ed Harris wasn't so egotistical, maybe he would have seen the writing on the wall and went, all right, extra, you just got a promotion. But instead he had to throw a knockoff Sandra Bullock at him. She had to Sandra Bullock into his arms. Yeah, but you know what? Maybe there was like a contract thing because you know what i bet the role of truman's wife was probably one of the most desired roles possible for someone who wanted that kind of exposure there's just so many subtle things i love how every time i watch it i swear to god i find a new camera hidden in the shot somewhere peter weir's direction here is just perfect because you know what it would be so easy to do this exact script and fuck it up you need to somehow maintain this balance of sincerity along with the obvious satire that it is and that is not an easy thing to balance what are you gonna do dice me slice me or peel me there's so many choices. The humor in this is so great. Like one of my favorite funny moments in the movie is when they do the interview with Kristoff and uh, the interviewer is like, and Kristoff, who famously values his privacy. And it's like, huh, just, I don't know why that kills me. He values his privacy. Sheesh, huh? Does he know? From that interview, there's a line where he's like, Kristoff, how are you going to explain the dad being gone so long? And Kristoff's like, amnesia. And he's like, brilliant, even though that's the biggest trope. Yeah, that that, that's happened. the most bullshit thing. Like, Kristoff <laughs> does a great job of PRing himself to be like, oh, I got this all under control. When in reality, the whole house of cards almost came tumbling down completely. And it did. He only delayed the inevitable, obviously, because beyond Kristoff's hubris of trying to make him fall in love, I think regardless, something was going to make Truman want to go out there. It's sort of this double-edged sword. Kristoff wants the Truman Show to be about this good old, like, leading man hero type. But if you raise a man that is a leading man hero type, no matter what you do, it's going to be in his nature to want to get out there and explore. I like to be an explorer. Like the Great Magellan. Oh, well, you're too late. There's really nothing left to explore. But the fact that on some level it was love making him want to go out there, I think is really beautiful. And I just like it a lot. We'll have more to discuss about The Truman Show after a brief commercial break. Hi, welcome back to Bomb Squad Movie Night. You see that shit? Colors on that canvas from a movie? That's right moviepalette.com. You can order one of your own, probably of the movie we're discussing right now. It basically takes the primary color of every frame of the movie, chop it up into these little slices, squishes it all together, and you get a beautiful thing like that from Punch Drunk Love. You can get one from The Truman Show. And if they don't have the one you want, you can go ahead and get it anyway. That's right. Cody, you in fact can get your Mac and Me movie palette. Let's go! And while you order that Mac and Me movie palette, you can use the code SQUAD15 to save 15% off your order. Cody's about to order it live. Yeah, we're doing it live. We're doing it live. <laughs> can, we get, can, we get a, can we get a screen recording? No. We'll do it live. Fuck it. Go to headphones cam three. <laughs> yeah. Cam three. Wait for the close-up. Wait for the close-up. And we're back to general discussion. Austin, you said you had some interesting shit. This is a bombshell. So Ed Harris is Kristoff, right? He was actually a last-minute replacement. He was not the original actor they filmed. The original actor that they filmed with was none other than Dennis Hopper. <laughs> Dennis Hopper of Blue Fucking Velvet. Dennis Hopper, bow 
loser, one of the craziest, <laughs> drug-addled, loud, the villain from Speed was supposed to be Kristoff. How does that make you guys feel? They literally filmed for a day with him. I think it's obvious <laughs> that he regretted considering he starred in Ed TV the next year. Just the idea of him leaning into that microphone at the end and being like, Heineken, fuck that shit. He can do like like coldly psychotic, but it always feels like he's about to start screaming as opposed to I, I don't think he can do that sort of like faux warmth that Harris achieves that sort of like cold heat that I would describe it as. It's genuinely uh, very effective in Harris's performance, especially considering he had like less than a week to get it done. Yeah, Harris was a uh, last-minute pick, as, as was mentioned. Like, they were going to have to halt shooting if they didn't get him, and a talent agency happened to reach out at exactly the right time, uh, and he lived nearby, uh, so they got him on set. And he happened to be free. Like, I can't imagine anyone other than Ed Harris in this role. He was the only actor in this nominated for an Oscar. I mean, not for good reason. Jim Carrey should have been, too, but... That kind of reminds me, this has a couple of things in common with Network. It has an actor who's in the movie for barely 10 minutes getting nominated for a Best Supporting Award, and, also like Network, it ends on a really obvious punchline. Like, like the ending of The Departed-level obvious punchline. You want another slice? No, I'm okay. What else is on? Yeah, let's do what else Where's is on. Where's the TV guy? It's a little bit, like, silly, but you gotta admire a movie that ends on a punchline, right? It's way better than, all right, guys, let's go home as the helicopter goes off into the sunset or whatever fucking the stock ending is. I love the product placement bits. Yeah, apparently the studio wanted them to do real product placement, like sneak a Nike into her hands. Uh, and I think uh, it was somebody involved with the movie asked the person, the executive, it was like, have you read the script? It, it would make the product look bad, or at least insidious. Only Wayne's World can really get away with that. Yeah, man, imagine advertising shit, that's lame. It's like people only do things because they get paid. And that's just really sad. And I think it's interesting on how, like, on both ends, like, Truman couldn't force himself to love Meryl, but Meryl obviously couldn't force herself to love Truman, but what I think is really interesting there is that it doesn't seem like Meryl ever really tried. And not that she should, obviously, mm -hmm. but what's interesting is that, like, unlike a lot of other actors on the show, she seemed to be most there to be like, I'm advancing my career. And I don't know if maybe that's only because she's the one that, like, breaks, quote unquote. So maybe that's why I feel that way. But I, I always thought that was interesting how with her performance, how she's the one that's like, seems like the most I don't want to be here. The Ticket Night special does say that she gets paid every time, extra, every time she has sex with Truman. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> You know what? That reminds me. When they talk about the two of them getting it on or whatever, and they say, oh, well, they always just close the curtains or they move the camera. You never really see it. But then later in the movie, during that interview, Ed Harris says, I still think we're going to see uh, the first on-air conception. What do you mean by that? That's expanded on in the deleted scenes. There's a deleted scene where they all have a meeting sort of somewhere away from the town that is the set. And they talk about how once Truman's baby exists, they will go to a two-channel broadcast where there will be a new show about the baby while the show about Truman is simultaneously going. They were trying to sort of have a spin-off created by conceiving a baby with Truman. <laughs> so I get that. That makes sense. I understand their motivation for wanting it. Oh, but my yeah. question goes back to specifically what does he mean by on-air conception? Does he mean we're gonna see all of it? What does he mean by that? Maybe he just meant the birth. 
That's not a conception. Oh. Switch from all of this quaint '90s sort of sitcom programming straight to like a porn cream pie. That that would be terrifying. Fun for the whole family. <laughs> there there is sort of a, a voyeuristic quality that kind of undercuts because you know there, there's somebody watching this that's watching it because they're into it. Well, I think we I think the movie shows us him, the guy in the back. <laughs> yeah. Either either that guy is doing something every time he's watching the show, or he is taking the longest fucking bath in human history. I can't believe he beat my record. So, you guys have made movies and shit. You know how sometimes, like, directors have, like, an abnormal amount of backstory for each character that doesn't usually, like, always make it into the final product? The, what we are made for, like, Ed Harris's character and stuff like that? I, I've seen directors locally in St. Louis do this. They'll give their characters, like, massive backstories for someone who has, like, one line and, like, looks at a person. So, some directors go nuts with that sort of thing to help their actors find motivation. Laura Linney had a really fascinating part of her artistic process where she was given some Sears catalogs from the 1940s, and she tried to emulate poses from images in those magazines. The artifice of it is so present. To double back on the whole giving big backstory, so Ed Harris got like a 10-page thing about his character's backstory, and the only thing we know about what was in it is that apparently it talks about how his uh, character did a film on homeless people for which he won an award. On an unrelated note, Tommy Wiseau also did a movie about homeless people for which he won an award. I don't know what that means, I'm just saying it. <laughs> Write it down. Run the numbers. Okay, I always forget this happens until I watch it again. It has a classic zoom, zoom, enhance, create pixels that aren't there. Goes full Blade Runner on us. We're kind of dancing around the elephant in the room, though, that all of this, all of this rotates around. California is a two-party state. This would be illegal. No, I'm kidding. It's Matt Getz. <laughs> The, the fucking politician. Okay, yes. fine. I'll bring it up. Okay, I was going to save it for Trivia Corner, but I can bring it up during general discussion. Truman's house in this movie. So most of this movie is actually shot in that uh, seaside sea. It's not sea, sea Haven's what it's called in the movie. But seaside, the real town, I think Florida. This is also the hometown of the Gates family, one of which Matt Gates is currently a sitting congressman in the United States House of Representatives. He has also been credibly accused of sleeping with teenagers on multiple occasions. He's a booger. <laughs> I bring this up because Truman's house is his childhood home. Just how did such an evil bastard grow up in Truman's house? I read that on Wikipedia and immediately sent it to Austin like, what the fuck? How is that possible? No problem. I grew up in the Hundred Acre Wood and now I work for the Republican Party. Like, fuck yeah. you. Yeah. As you do. It's nuts. <laughs> it's nuts. You may notice in the soundtrack... Uh, several classical pieces, one of which is Piano Sonata Number no. 11 in A Major. You may remember this classic track from the hit short film, Bepis, oh. created by Ethan Hawke. Oh, motherfucker. <laughs> there we go. Synergy. You know, speaking of music, this is like one of my all-time favorite movie scores. Wasn't this a Philip Glass joint? There's an IMDb trivia that said there are two composers in this movie, so I don't know what to believe. The Wikipedia article says some parts of the soundtrack were composed by Philip Glass, uh, but then it also has a big old citation needed, um, so uh, that's suspect. So they don't know. Uh, Got it. So, so it's a Michael Jackson and Sonic 3 thing, or at least the way that information was for a while. Was not expecting yeah. that Sonic was going to get brought up in this episode in context of Michael Jackson instead of Jim Carrey. Uh, Jim Carrey saw it. It makes sense. It's perfect. Jim Carrey is Sonic. Uh, I really like the uh, way the cinematography is done in this film. It's probably one of my favorite films cinematography-wise. You know, there's the obvious scenes where it's like, 
oh, it's a it's a lens, and you can tell it's a camera. But then there's scenes where there isn't one, but the framing basically makes it look like there should be a camera there. I like that basically the camera work is basically not centered around Truman, but centered around the crew that would be filming Truman. It makes the camera work very interesting. It makes you like look around and be like, oh. It, it basically encourages you to like examine the area, like see if you can notice anything. Because sometimes you can notice stuff in the background that like peeps in. It's very, makes it very engaging that way. I love how small Mount Rushmore is. The fake Mount Rushmore. I like how small it is. I like tiny things. Honey, I Blew Up the Baby is a great movie because of this. All right, who's ready for uh, Tanner's Truman Trivia Corner? Yeah. The Triple yeah. TC. Harry Truman was the only president who's also from the state of Missouri. He is also the only president to nuke another country. <laughs> Oppenheimer in theaters soon. <laughs> Thank you, Nolan, baby. I'll get the check in the mail. All right, so uh, this is a crazy one, considering how it's literally the hero and the villain. Ed Harris and Jim Carrey never met during filming. They only met at the premiere. This is another one of those like little storytelling things that Ethan was talking about. But in an early scene, there's a bottle of vitamin D supplement on Truman's table. This is because he has to take vitamin D, and so do the people that live there all the time. They don't have actual access to the sun. Oh. Every street in Sea Haven is actually a reference to a movie star. Lancaster, Square, Barrymore, Road. And all the cast members are likewise named after movie stars. Meryl, Marlon, Kirk, Angela, etc., etc. Peter Weir didn't just only write backstories for the characters. He wrote backstories for The Truman Show itself. And in his backstory, it apparently won several Emmys every year. How many did it actually win? Probably none. So. Uh, it's all, you're right. It also didn't win any Oscars. Ooh. It won a Golden Globe. Jim Carrey is the only actor to have won a Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Comedy and Best Actor in a Dramatic Performance and never be nominated at the Oscars, period. So this movie's already pretty meta to begin with. Peter Weir wanted to go even more meta with it. At several points during the production, Peter Weir was seriously considering putting a part in the film reel where the film stops. And in turn, what would happen is that it would cut to a camera inside the auditorium pointing at the audience. Um, I imagine that this didn't happen because that would be a technical nightmare that I don't even think they could reliably pull off today, mm -hmm. let alone back then when they were dealing with stocks of film. You know, this is what the guy from Mant, a uh, matinee, uh, John Goodman's character, really wanted. It's a very William Castle sort of thing. William Castle is the person that John Goodman's character in that film is actually based off of. Um, he also apparently flirted with the idea of paint playing Kristoff himself, which is interesting because I don't know if Peter Weir has ever actually acted in anything before. Um, Ed Harris wasn't even the first actor they went to after Dennis Hopper went away. The first one they went to was Jack Nicholson. I really am starting to think <laughs> like right. the casting director did not understand Kristoff at all. Uh, Nicholson declined because he's friends with Hopper. After that, Jonathan Price was asked, but unfortunately, he was on vacation, and it eventually went with Ed Harris. Fun fact about this one, guys. You have probably never seen this movie in its true aspect ratio. Peter Weir intentionally filmed the movie in 1.66 by 1 to make it feel like a, quote, television show. However, only the DVD release has this aspect ratio. The theatrical cut is cut to 1.85 by 1. The Blu-ray is 1.78 by 1. Motherfuck! 
When this uh, script was first entered into production at Paramount, part of it was that Andrew Nicole would make his directorial debut with this movie. It wound up not happening, so there was a bunch of other directors that were considered. The first of which was attached after was Brian De Palma. Sex crime. I like De Palma. Very different movie. After him, other directors that were considered included Tim Burton, Terry Gilliam, Barry Sonnenfield, Sam Raimi, and Steven Spielberg were all apparently either considered or asked. The more interesting thing is that a certain director coming hot off of what I believe was a 1994 bit of a surprise smash hit wanted to direct The Truman Show. That director was none other than Brian Singer. Glad that didn't go down. I think Brian Singer's a hack, so that movie just would have been worse in every conceivable fashion. David Cronenberg was offered to direct the movie, but turned it down. I really want to see what David Body Horror Cronenberg does with The Truman Show. Uh, now we're on to final thoughts. Austin, we'll start with you. Be on the lookout for The Truman Show 4K Blu-ray coming out July 4th. What better way to celebrate Independence Day in our modern corporate dystopia than with a fictional story of a man who beat the system? And we all love Jim Carrey, don't we, folks? Ethan, final thoughts. I can't believe Truman Burbank uh, transmogrified into Jack Aubrey and five years later starred in Peter Weir's next film, Master and Commander. (laughs) Cody, final thoughts. I think the movie is pretty great, and that's as far as I'm going to go. I got to sleep tonight thinking of my life being a lie again. Uh, It's true. What can I say that we haven't already said? I feel like we all could have kept going a lot for this movie. It's a masterpiece of the highest order. Jim Carrey's incredible in it. And uh, there's probably a very good reason why this show inspired an actual psychiatric term called Truman Show Syndrome, where people actually think they're on a TV show. But... You know who is actually the star of a TV show and doesn't know it and is not at all having a mental breakdown? Who? You! <laughs> the person watching slash listening to this episode of Bomb Squad Movie Night. If you are listening to this episode on any of the audio platforms we're on, thank you oh so very much for tuning in. Leave a review. Boost us in the algorithm, maybe. I don't know. If you're watching this on Spotify video, thank you oh so very much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this uncensored edition of Bomb Squad Movie Night. How about you go ahead and mosey on down over to our Patreon, which we'll be launching real rewards at soon. If you're watching this on YouTube, thank you again oh so very much for watching. We really appreciate it. What do you think of The Truman Show? What's your favorite Jim Carrey movie? Do you want to see a Truman Show sequel? I don't, but go ahead and uh, answer that question. And finally, do you think you're being recorded right now? Comment below and let me know. And while you're down there, hit the like button so we know how much you like us. Hit the subscribe button so we know how much you love us. And hit the bell icon so you know exactly when we upload new videos. Tune in next week for another Ethan-hosted episode where we'll be covering... What are we talking about, Ethan? Spider-Man. Um, (laughs) Spider-Verse. We're talking about the Italian Spider-Man movie. That's right. No, I'm kidding. We're talking about Across the Spider-Verse. It's going to be a lot of fucking fun. Tune in for that. We'll see you then, guys. Bye. Bye. Do not go in there. Woo!